Welcome to the ABM Conversations Podcast. The number one podcast for B2B marketers wanting to explore timeless account-based marketing strategies to drive revenue, customer engagement, retention, and everything that makes sense to both marketers and sales folks. No more fluff. No more vanity metrics. Live from India. Made for the world. And now your hosts, Yog and Manish. You definitely want to stick till the end of this show because today we have someone who is going to tell us how he went from 0 to 2 million views and raked about 100,000 in the process by just posting regularly on Quora within the span of just nine months. This is me, as usual, your host Manish Nepal. And this is me, Yagneshwar and Ganesh. Yag and I are still in the first year of our podcasting journey and it's rare for us to have a guest on our episode with whom we have crossed paths before. But today is different because today we have Casey Hill joining us in the ABM Conversations podcast. And Casey has referred a guest for us uh, a few months back and he has also appeared as a guest blogger for Yag's website a few times before. Casey, it's great to be talking to you again. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's great to be chatting with both of you. Casey, you have such a unique mix of professional experience that it was very tough for I and Yak to summarize it uh, in just one line or two. But I tried and, and here's what I got. Uh, let me start by, uh, you, went with, uh, you went to Stanford and uh, you were a fin- fundraising specialist at one point. Uh, you were also a consultant a two-time founder, a novelist, a freelance strategic advisor to McKinsey and company, and currently you are heading the growth team at Bonzer. And I want to I want to apologize in advance if I've missed anything in the illustrious list of accomplishments uh, that I just spelled out. And I would also like for you to give our listeners a brief overview of maybe who you are, uh, uh, where you're from, and how in the world did you manage to do so many things in one lifetime? <laughs> well, thank you so much for uh, for that intro. And yeah, I've, I've definitely dabbled in, in quite a few different spaces. Um, I actually went to college at Berkeley, um, but I did also take classes at Stanford. So I kind of had a, a little spattering of both of those. Um, and it was at that point that I kind of started to get a little bit more into the entrepreneurial scene, um, as well as the tech scene. So I started to kind of dabble a little more in both of those. Um, and from that experience, um, started to kind of work in the SaaS world quite a bit. Um, so over the next kind of 10 years, I guess you would say post-college, I was primarily working either as a consultant or with different um, SaaS style businesses. Um, during that same period, though, I also had a number of kind of like personal entrepreneurial projects. Um, I, ate, I 800% funded a Kickstarter for a tabletop gaming business that I launched, um, as well as kind of served as a freelance consultant for businesses in kind of the world of automation. Um, and then I worked as a sales director for an inbound marketing company for about four years um, through a company called Entreport. Um, and at my time there, um, started to utilize a tool called Bonjoro, which is a personal video tool. And essentially from that experience, eventually came over and headed up the growth team for that company. So that's kind of a, a brief overview of, uh, of my trajectory across a, a couple of those different things you've named. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very interesting. And uh, because uh, the niche topic for our episode today is uh, Quora. Let's start with Quora right away. 
Now, you began using Quora for business in 2019 and over the next 12 months or nine months, you made over $100,000 in profit. That's crazy. And, uh, and now you have created a course on how to monetize Quora, priced beautifully at $299, if I'm not wrong, which is three times less value than the cost of the latest iPhone, which is cool. But uh, without giving us any kind of spoilers that might affect the uh, sales of your course, can you give us a rough sketch of how you initially discovered Quora and how it won you the jackpot of $100,000? Yeah, absolutely, and I'm happy to share lots of insights. I mean, there's there's a lot, so uh, there'll still be there'll still be plenty left over for the course. Um, but yeah, basically, I started writing on Quora during my time with Entreport, um, is where I kind of kicked things off, and I initially used it just as a forum to kind of answer questions. Right, Quora for anyone who's not familiar is a kind of like Q and A website. People can ask a question like, you know, how do I generate more leads on LinkedIn? right? Or how do I convert more of my trials? And then people can respond to those. And depending on the merits of those answers and, you know, how much people upvote certain answers, there'll be different amounts of attention um, kind of paid to them. And so what happened was I started to write answers and, you know, uh, people I think liked my insights. <laughs> so from there, I started getting kind of more and more involved. And Quora became something that was not only just a platform for me to get out content, um, and distribute content in front of you know a large audience. Quora's platform has about 300 million users. So I think part of it was to find an outside source that could kind of enhance and give more exposure to what I was writing. Um, but it also became a place where I kind of networked quite a bit, right? A lot of my eventual gains that I got from Quora came on the back of relationships that I built with people that had webinars or had podcasts or... Um, had uh, different content collaboration opportunities, right? And so I would start to connect with these people. And unlike LinkedIn, um, which is great, I, I love LinkedIn as well, but LinkedIn has, has gotten fairly crowded, right? To the point where connecting with certain high profile people can be kind of tricky sometimes. Um, and Quora, because there's still not a ton of that outreach, is a little bit more open. You know, I was able to connect with people, people like Jason Lemkin, who is a kind of like notable VC, um, former founder of EchoSign, and, and some other people like that who provided a ton of kind of value and insight to me that I had not been able to connect with uh, before that on LinkedIn. And so one side of Quora became networking and relationship building. Um, as Quora kind of grew for me, I also started to learn a lot more of kind of the, the mechanisms of, of distribution. And, and what I mean a little bit by that is, you know, when you first write on Quora, you come in, you find an answer, you kind of write to it. But when you dig a little bit deeper, you find that there's a lot of additional opportunities for, for distribution. So for instance, Quora has a concept called spaces, right? And spaces are basically these like tons of mini communities that are curated. So think about like on Facebook, you have hundreds of groups, right? So Quora has a concept where you have all these different spaces and those can be around entrepreneurship or marketing or startup growth. And so I basically joined up into dozens and dozens of these communities, started to share my answers into those. Um, as I became more of an authority, they would promote me to becoming a contributor, which means that like my answers would automatically be approved. And so suddenly I had this way that every time I wrote content, I could now distribute it into dozens of these different outlets and get tens of thousands of more eyes on it through that. Um, as well as once again, from the networking standpoint, build relationships 
with the people that were curating a lot of these marketing SaaS sales style communities. And so um, those are, are kind of some of the initial points. And then another concept that Cora has is something called the Cora Digest. So Cora has a very robust uh, email list, right? Uh, probably millions uh, of people on this uh, email list they run and they do targeted blasts based on answers. And so as I gained more popularity on Quora, I would get notifications that say, your answer to this question just went out to 100,000 people. Your answer to this question just went out to 10,000 people. You know, if it was a smaller niche, the most I'd ever gotten was a million. This answer just went out to a million people on our email list. And so um, that also became another another apparatus of kind of um, amplification, if you will. And I I think one thing to speak broadly to that I've been a very big advocate of in the marketing space is finding channels that help, especially when you're a smaller business, um, that help provide that amplification. You know, so Quora is one, content collaborations are another, webinars are another, podcasts are another, things that allow you to bring in an outside community of eyes to to look at something. I think that's incredibly valuable for small businesses. And I think too often I find that people rely solely on their own inbound marketing efforts and their own internal email lists. And it makes it substantially more challenging, I think, for those people to um, kind of scale quickly because they're confined to only their own organic growth, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, this is this is an amazing story. And uh, we we are like already licking our lips to, uh, you know, dig this deeper. Uh, and I guess uh, pretty much uh, every superstar was once uh, heavily invested on Quora, uh, right from Jason Lemkin to uh, you, Casey Hill here. So, uh, you know, <laughs> so Casey, uh, you know, uh, for our listeners uh, who might also be super curious about what you just said, um, you know, I feel that a lot of a uh, lot of us, like, you know, a lot of us marketers, we all know what Quora is. And uh, but but the point is, we've never really leveraged its complete potential. So as you said, you know, we can we can post answers, we can uh, have our own questions, we can follow topics or probably even discover spaces, as you said. But. Um, you know, can you give us an anatomy, uh, maybe at, at a broad level, as to what are the different things that we can uh, do in the platform, and like how can a typical marketer identify what to do there? Yeah, yeah, great question. So, I mean, the first thing I, I think that's really valuable for everyone to know who's listening, who might be interested in getting involved in Cora, is Cora is a storytelling platform. So one of the first problems I had, so actually when I first started on Quora, um, the way that our team had been using it previously to me, because we had people that were actually Quora writers before I started, the way they had been using it previously was kind of just repurposing blog content. They write a blog article and they try to find an answer and they try to post it. And that didn't perform very well because that's not the the medium of, of really how Quora excels. Quora answers that are about personal experience are the ones that are most effective. So the first big thing is to kind of take a step back from some of the more blog style, uh, long form content that really expounds on an issue from kind of more of a didactic or instructive standpoint, you can still absolutely layer that in. But I think it's important to nest it within personal experience, basically saying, look, this is, you know, as an example, um, our company, the company that I currently run the growth department for, Bonjoro, we do a lot of podcasting. We've done about 175 podcasts um, so far in 2020. And that's been a a powerful growth lever. And so on Quora, I would write an answer about exactly what Bonjoro did. Here's our experience. Here's the platforms I use. Here's the ways that we built relationships. Walking people through from a firsthand experience, not just saying, this is what we advise, 
but couching everything within a personal narrative of how we experienced it. I think that's the first big takeaway. So if you're going to try to get involved in Quora, be ready to use your own personal experience and, and, and personal failures too, right? I think that people resonate with a lot of people out there are trying strategies And as anyone who is in the marketing world knows, um, you don't bat 100, right? (laughs) You probably don't bat 50%. So so I think part of that is to realize there is going to be things that don't work and being open about that as well. Hey, we tried this, we tried this, it didn't work. And that kind of led us to this. And just giving people that full scope of the story, I think that is, is powerful. You know, and with the actual exact mechanisms of, of how you fight, find the right answers, um, that's something that in, in some ways is a little bit of a larger conversation. But to give you kind of like a Cliff Notes version, when you're on Quora, again, it's a question and answer platform. So if you know some topic really well, right, like how to generate, I, the example I used before, how do you generate leads on LinkedIn? If someone knows that topic really well, type in that question and you'll see all variants of people that have asked that. You'll see how many people are following Um, that specific question that has been asked. So that gives you a sense of, is there good engagement here for, is this worth my time in essence to write on? And if you see that there's a strong following around that question, then that opens up an opportunity for you to kind of share your narrative there um, and get involved. And so in a way in Quora, you can kind of focus on your areas of expertise, the things that you know really well, right? When I first got involved, um, as I noted to our listeners, I've been kind of in the SaaS world in a lot of different capacities for a long time, you know, both working for SaaS companies, advising and consulting with SaaS companies. So that was kind of my wheelhouse. And I, you know, quickly became a top 10 writer, you know, over the course of about six months in the world in SaaS marketing, SaaS sales, just SaaS overall. Um, and a lot of those key topics, because it was something that, you know, I was, talking about and consulting all the time. You know, how do you increase MRR? How do you reduce churn? How do you have a healthy onboarding process? And so I just kind of wrote about what I knew. Um, and so that's, that was a little bit of a long-winded <laughs> answer to your question, but that, that's kind of one of the places I would start. Right, right. Absolutely. You know, like in the world of cricket, uh, we say everybody starts uh, with a with a single run, with a knot. Um, that's that's amazing, right? So I, I love what you just said. But, uh, you know, can we also touch a little bit on... Um, probably what is that thing that a normal user does and how is a power user different on Quora? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that is important to note about Quora is, and especially the power users, I think there's kind of a couple of folds. Number one is, I think as we, first thing I would say is kind of, again, referring back to what I said before, which is to have the answers be personal and to have them be kind of robust in that context. And then I think the distribution aspect as a next point is also significant. And so distribution is, you know, again, not relying on your answer just being, I write an answer and I leave it, but taking advantage of how Core is built, this ecosystem of spaces and this ecosystem that you can distribute content into these different communities. I think that's another facet um, of the power user. And the other thing too is to um, be frequent with it right? Like I'll be totally candid. When I first started, I wrote so many answers that didn't get a lot of views, right? To this date, I think I have maybe, I don't know, maybe 900 to a thousand answers, right? So I've written a lot of answers on Quora and I've definitely gotten answers that, you know, got a hundred views, right? As well as those that got a hundred thousand. So I think that with Quora, it's, it's also realizing that frequency and being engaged and being involved with it is important. And, and I think that, 
you know, there's a couple different sides of Quora. So when I talk to people about Quora, one of the things I mention is you have the thought leadership angle, which is something that I did, right? Which is I wrote a lot and I put a lot of content out there. Um, but some people say, well, what if I don't have time? I don't have time for this um, kind of like thought leadership angle, right? It seems like I'm going to have to be writing all the time. It's this huge investment um, for maybe an unclear ROI. I think that a lot of the areas that you can do, so for instance, networking, commenting on people's answers and building relationships and reaching out to people that run podcasts or webinars or that you want to do a content collaboration with, I think a lot of those you can do with substantially less time investment, right? So I think one of the things that I would note is, you know, you don't have to go the angle of, you know, writing three answers a day, every single day um, that I kind of did. That, that's, that is a great way for you to produce a lot of content and for you to kind of build name recognition. If you're trying to get to, you know, millions of views, that's probably a good pathway there. But if you're just trying to focus on the idea of how do I monetize Quora? How do I, how do I have Quora be a profitable medium for my business? I think you can tap into the relationship side um, for a much lower investment. And also there's the, the idea of Quora ads, right? So my background, I ran, you know, by and large, Facebook and Google ads. That was like my bread. I, I dabbled in Twitter and Reddit and a handful of others, but nothing, you know, previously had really given me the same ROI as Facebook and Google ads. And suddenly I got into Cora's environment and started just testing out, you know, really small tests. I'd test, you know, $25, $50 and just do dozens of these little micro tests. And I started to find some incredibly effective ads. I mean, ads that were getting 7% click-through rate which 7% click-through rate was never something that I got on, on Facebook ads. So it's kind of remarkable. And I think that because the Quora ad ecosystem is still a little bit more nascent, meaning that there's not as many players, although I will say that there's more and more companies joining in. So that, that uh, window of opportunity might be increasingly slipping. But definitely compared to things like Facebook and compared to things like um, Google, that's, that system is not nearly as big. So that's the other kind of quick opportunity. So, you know, I think if you're going for networking or you're going for core ads, those are things that you can do to put kind of your foot on the gas and produce ROI or return from Quora quite quickly. And then there's this larger conversation of how do you establish yourself as a thought leader? And that I think is regularity, is spreading your content into spaces, and is really getting involved Um with the Quora community, right? Even maybe creating your own space. You know, I, I created a space um, around kind of like growth strategies and growth hacks as well. And so that was an additional thing that I did. So those are those are kind of some thoughts there. Yeah, Casey, everything that you have said so far is great. Um, I mean, Quora is definitely a great platform. And, uh, you know, but I and Jan try to run the show a little differently in the sense that we try to dissect everything uh, that's being said from all possible angles and maybe challenge things when possible. So keeping aside the fact that Quora is a great platform for content creators like you or uh, Balaji Swaminathan or me and Jan, what are a few things that you don't like about Quora? I mean, what are a few shortcomings uh, in Quora that people should be aware of? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think that one of the reasons why you see a, a flocking of, of some people that go from, say, Core to Medium or some of those other channels is kind of the internal monetization engine. And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, Medium, I'm not sure how much uh, you guys or our listeners are familiar, but Medium has kind of more of this rev share style, style model where if you write an answer that gets millions of views, 
you might just be able to directly monetize on that, right? Um, Quora doesn't work like that. So Quora doesn't have as much of a, like Quora doesn't have a system that says, hey, if you're getting millions of views on your answers, we're just going to start directly paying you. Um, as we've kind of talked about, a lot of the ways that I've discussed kind of monetization are in a sense kind of like indirect ways, right? Um, yes, we I have written answers and had people, you know, we've driven traffic directly to sign up on on either Entreport or now Bonjoro, the companies I work for. We have gotten a portion of that, but the majority, I would say, like when I was reviewing my stats and looking at kind of Google Analytics data and looking at money that I've made, a lot of it would be I meet a person on Quora um, either through direct outreach or through a comment. I have a conversation with them. They say, "Hey, actually, we run, we run a webinar on you know trial conversions." I say, "Great, you know we're uh, you know Bonjoro is involved in, in helping people convert more, so we set up, we do a show." After that, we see that that opportunity drove, say, 10 new customers, right? And so from there, you say, okay, our average customer has a customer lifetime value of $1,000. So that was worth $10,000 to us, right? That webinar opportunity that I found through Quora. So a lot of it, that, that I think constituted the majority of our, our monetization was basically relationships that turned into paying customers versus just directly driving traffic or again, directly getting revenue from the platform like you might be able to do on something like a medium. Awesome. And uh, since we are getting hyper-specific about the tactical uh, way of monetizing Quora and uh, taking advantage of it, uh, on the topic of this campaign that you ran for nine months period uh, where you earned 2 million views and uh, raked uh, $100,000 in profit, I want to know how much time did you spend every day during this uh, period, uh, just for listeners to get a concrete picture of what uh, what that consistency looked like? Yeah, great question. So, I mean, it's a little bit of a m- momentum game, right? So in the early days, um, gosh, I don't know an exact hour amount, but I, I was doing a lot. I mean, I had days where I would write, you know, five to 10 answers um, in one day. Right. So, and I was doing that, you know, five days a week. So I had days where I definitely spent hours per day on Quora. Now, as I, once I kind of tipped certain thresholds, right? Like once I hit like over a million, felt like it was a threshold where based on the algorithms of how Quora works, and I won't go down the full rabbit hole of this, but, you know, once Quora has basically seen that your answers get very high engagement, moving forward, more of your answers will start to get that same engagement, right? So I might be able to write a shorter, quicker answer that still gets 10,000 views. Whereas when I was starting out, I wouldn't have been able to get that because I didn't have that built-in kind of credibility. So it's like the compound interest that you get over time. Exactly. So, So the answer to your question is that during the early days, there was definitely kind of the hill to get over. Once I got over that hill per se, I feel as if Quora is more generous on my um, on my content today. So I don't know the exact um, kind of equation there, but what I will say, again, being totally candid and open with our listeners, is if you're looking at uh, monetization from the thought leadership perspective, it's going to be a substantial time investment, you know. And and so that I, I think is something that I would go into the thought leadership angle on Quora. Only if you're a person who is, you know, A, you like writing, (laughs) B, you're a person who likes to share personal narrative, as in you have a style that you can share your own history and your own examples. It's not just someone, you know, writing best practices, right? 
Um, I think those are are both important pieces. And three, that you have a realistic time frame in mind. You're you're kind of in your head, you're thinking, okay, what can this bring me in six months? Or what can this bring me in 12 months? Not what can this bring me in one month? Because like I said, if the if the time frame is one month, you're gonna be better suited to use Quora ads or to use Quora networking type of, of styles of monetization to get those types of returns. I, I absolutely love it. Right. So the, the kind of, uh, you know, the kind of ca- things, the way you're keeping it candid and uh, to the point and without, uh, without you know, um, going through the larger or the outline stories, I, I really love it. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's keeping it really, really real. And talking of creating uh, this kind of uh, content, Reminds me that we should also take a quick commercial break and thank our sponsors, that is Zest.is. And at this point, uh, as listeners, you people already know how Zest works and how it leverages AI to personalize your content experience by suggesting you a content feed that is very specific to your taste. And for using Zest, all you have to do is download the Google Chrome browser extension and start either submitting or discovering high-quality blogs, infographics, podcasts, videos right within your tab. You know what? Don't believe a word of what Yag and I say, though. I think you should try Jest on your own. You just have to go to jest.is slash content boost and get a $75 off when you mention the AVM Conversations podcast during the sign-up process. Now, coming back to the uh, remaining questions, uh, Casey, um, what I have experienced in my limited, um, you know, time window of using Quora as a, a layman user, as a very um, basic user is, Quora can either be very addictive or it can be very challenging to keep up with everything posted in that website. So how do you suggest as a power user that people deal with this problem of information overload? Yeah, great question. And let me first off just say um, I'm also a huge fan of Zest as well. I mean, that goes very much with the ethos of of having platforms that help you get additional eyes on your content. So I will hop in there. Um, We have definitely done many paid promotions and we redistribute a lot of our content there. So uh, definitely on the same page with with you guys on that one. Um, But kind of, of circling back to Quora and the issue of kind of information overload, I think the key is to stay targeted around the stuff that you know, right? Don't don't just live, because you know, Quora will spit up an automatic feed. If you start answering lots of questions in an area, Quora will start to automatically start throwing, you know, hey, do you want to answer this? Do you want to answer this? Do you want to answer this? And that I think sometimes is where people can start to get lost or they start to kind of stretch beyond their expertise um, or they start to look at, oh, this is a great follow answer. So they try to answer it even though they maybe don't have the best answer to it. I strongly encourage people to stay in the areas that you know well, that you can talk in a robust way from personal experience about, right? Um, Don't fall into that trap of thinking just because this answer has a great number of followers that that you should automatically target it, right? Because Quora, and again, we won't go all the way into the depths of this, but Quora's algorithm is more complex than that. It's not just about follower to answer ratio. There's a lot of variables involved and engagement is a huge part of it. So if you write something really compelling, even on an answer that doesn't have as much following, you can still have that ultimately blossom into being a really successful um, answer for you. So the biggest thing I would say is come into it with intentionality. Don't just kind of come to Quora and like, I'm going to browse around and look at the feed and see if there's anything interesting. If you do that, you're likely going to fall into that over uh, information overload, right? Instead, what I would recommend for you to do is 
take a step back and think about areas that you know exceptionally well. And think about a lot of maybe even kind of variants of that. So for instance, if you're a company and let's say that you help uh, people generate more leads, right, on social media or something like that. So think about all the different areas that you you kind of work in. We help generate more leads on LinkedIn. We help generate more leads um, from Facebook, on Google, et cetera, et cetera. Think through all those and then start to talk, look up those questions on Quora, right? And start to educate and talk. Don't promote, don't just plug your system and, and have it be, you know, an internal promotion. Um, Quora also is not receptive to that. So um, you can include links, absolutely, but you want to be smart with it. You want to be discretionary. There's, there's kind of ratios. If you have too many links, they'll start to shut down your answers. So you want to start out by just educating. I'm going to become a go-to resource for helping people um, in this space. And one of the things that I did too is I really tried to lean into specificity. I tried to get away from just general advice and say, hey guys, here's my process. I use Listen Notes to find people, to find podcasts. And then because Listen Notes provides email addresses, that's a way that I can actually write out a full pitch. And, you know, I would really go through step by step. Here's exactly how we produce this result. And I think because I did that, people were very receptive and very appreciative of, of having stuff like that. Again, rooted in personal experience, very actionable um, and very targeted around stuff we knew because we were writing about what we had done. So, so I think that's the way it's, and to be frank, I think this is true with a lot of marketing, have intentionality, come at it with a specific purpose. And I think if you do that, you'll have a lot more success. Right, totally. It makes a lot of sense. And I guess, you know, by now you covered a lot of perspective from the point of how an individual can make a mark on Quora. And of course, you also spoke about uh, using Quora by, uh, you know, for running ads and how it was advantageous compared to uh, what you were doing on Google and Facebook previously. But now let's switch a little for, you know, into thinking about how Quora can be leveraged for business. Uh, maybe, you know, uh, can you talk us through a little bit on how can brands um, you know, really leverage Quora by spending money on ads. And what are some of the advantages or disadvantages of using um, Quora for business? And maybe from a business standpoint, is it really worth it? Like, say, for example, I've dabbled with uh, Reddit, I've dabbled with other uh, platforms. And very much like you said, you know, Reddit flags people very easily. Um, how is Quora in that sense? Yeah, great question. And, and before kind of jumping into the ads, I do want to clarify that, um, the use that we've been talking about so far is still in a business context, in a business content production context, but is is definitely still set directly for a business. The answers I was writing um, about SaaS and, and trials and conversion and churn um, were for the intentionality, right, of being able to kind of build presence and credibility around the companies I was working with. So just to just to kind of clarify that, but but in terms of ads specifically and that kind of ecosystem, so the first thing is if you go through kind of the, the process uh, of setting up ads in Quora, the targeting specificity is actually very, very good. There's a lot of targeting that you can do in Quora that you couldn't do inside of something like Facebook, where Facebook will stay more broad, right? So if you do like interest targeting as an example, um, and you look, you know, you can do kind of like keyword targeting. So you can target people that are searching for certain terms, or you can do interest targeting. But my experience has been that when I compare directly the groups that I have available or the interests rather that I have available to target on something like Facebook versus Quora, I have many more options on Quora. So that's one reason that I think is, is valuable. You know, if I wanted to run ads 
specifically to, you know, let's say like active campaign um, as a, as an email provider. And I'm like, Hey, you know, I want to target these kind of people. I'd have a lot more groups and specificity around there on Quora. So that's kind of one component that I think makes um, that powerful. Now, in a lot of ways, Quora has a lot of commonalities to Facebook, right? You can do retargeting style ads. It has the same kind of like pixel environment. You pixel a page so you can look at kind of conversions. You can target for traffic or you can target for conversions. I mean, I was actually kind of surprised how similar in many ways that that engine was. Anyone who's really familiar with using Facebook ads, I feel like is going to very intuitively pick up on Quora ads. Um, but as I noted, I do think there's some additional depth that Quora offers that I didn't see uh, across other answers. And and also you have options on Quora to either promote answers that you've written for more exposure or just run a direct ad, right? Again, kind of like Facebook where you have like kind of a boost or you can, can run direct. I did a spattering of both and I've had some success from both. Probably from just a pure dollar standpoint, I've gotten more from ads than I have from promoted answers, although we've had a couple of pretty successful promoted answers as well. Um, one of the advantages of a, promoted, of a promoted answer is if you get an additional 30,000 or 40,000 views, that again goes to your overall views on your account. So it helps kind of blossom your, your, overall, um, your overall footprint. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly... Um, hawkish or uh, or pro um, the opportunities that exist inside of Quora relative to other platforms from a monetization standpoint. I think that you're seeing more and more of, you know, Salesforce and some of these other brands that I'm starting to notice those ads popping up that they, you know, didn't even six months ago or 12 months ago, or at least I wasn't seeing them before. Um, so I know that more players are kind of realizing this and, and seeing that opportunity comparatively. But I still think that if you just look at total volume, there's no way that the competition is going to be anywhere close to what you would see on a Facebook just in terms of total usage. So I still believe that from a business standpoint, it presents a unique monetization opportunity um, to kind of get in there and benefit if you approach it the right way. Right. And I also agree with you on the fact that uh, all these platforms are also kind of becoming increasingly uh, uh, similar, uh, that it is becoming intuitive. On the other hand, uh, you know, with the advent of everybody uh, bringing in stories, I really hope Quora also doesn't jump into that bandwagon because I, I really don't understand uh, how it's useful in the business context. But, you know, can you give us maybe a, a couple of examples as to, uh, you know, any company that you particularly think is doing really well on Quora other than Bonjero? Yeah, great question. I mean, there's there's a handful. So the first one that I think of off the top of my head, just because I see their presence so much is, is Saster, right? Which is the company that's run by Jason Lemkin, who is obviously kind of one of the early figures on Quora, but he continues to definitely have a lot of exposure there. One that I don't see a ton of organic content, but is all across Quora from an ads perspective is MailChimp which many of the listeners here may be familiar with, just uh, one of the largest um, email tools. They, they heavily um, advertise on the platform. So they definitely, um, I would presume, based on the amount of advertising they do, are probably seeing a solid ROI to that kind of email marketing audience or, or kind of more like introductory early stage businesses that are kind of looking for tools. And I, I think, you know, as I kind of think through the platforms that I see most commonly, you know, I see uh, Asana, I see ClickUp. I see a good amount of like project management softwares. I see Monday.com. Um, I think that tools kind of geared toward tools like that uh, are typically more common than some of the more enterprise style solutions, 
right? Like you don't see a lot of SAP or Oracle. Salesforce has been kind of a, a new entrant and they're obviously a little bit of a hybrid. They do some small business or primarily probably a little more enterprise. Um, but like I said, till recently, I hadn't seen much of them, but definitely a, a pretty strong presence. I, I'd say one of the areas that you see a pretty strong presence are, are SaaS businesses, right? Kind of the area that I was in. Um, a lot of those players, if you're um, if you go on and you kind of just pay attention to the advertising and the things that you see, I definitely think that there's there's quite a bit there. And for anyone who's curious to kind of break down from an organic perspective who the biggest people are, that's one of the cool things, again, with the top writers by space. You could just go into, say, SaaS sales, and you can look at all of the writers prioritized by what their ranking is right now in that space in terms of total views over the last 30 days. So if you're like, who are the top 50 people that are writing in SaaS sales right now? You could go on, pull up that list, and you could read through who those exact companies are. And what you'll probably find is there are a lot of um, typically people that have some sort of fairly senior credentials. I don't think that's required, you know, um, but I think you will see a lot of founders. Um, you will see a lot of people who are kind of, you know, senior marketers, senior sales, management level position people. I think that's partially too to the fact that sometimes those credentials can carry a little bit more weight. Um, if someone sees an answer from an intern, they might not weigh it as highly as an answer from a founder, uh, be that fair or not. Um, but that kind of ties back to the idea of stories. People, I think, might infer that the founder has more direct experience than an intern and thus their, their answer kind of carries more weight. Um, but yeah, definitely a handful, Asana, ClickUp, uh, MailChimp are just a couple that come to the top of my head. There are some pretty like formidable size businesses, but I would encourage anyone who's kind of curious about this to go look up. So this is called Topics. So we talked about spaces, which are kind of these small communities you can share into. Uh, Cora also has Topics. So Topic is like an area like SaaS sales. So answers that answers, when you write an answer on Quora, it has certain topics attached to it. So if I write an answer on how to accelerate your startup, I'm how to accelerate your SaaS startup, for instance, I might tag it to the topic startup, tag it to the topic SaaS, tag it to the topic uh, growth strategy, growth tips, right? And it will then show up in each of those that I've marked it as. So um, that's something I would encourage anyone who's curious to go into different topics and see who those top writers and the top contributors are. It'll give you a little bit of a more complete sense of, of kind of who probably is benefiting most in those worlds. Uh, Casey, just one quick clarification question on what you answered earlier about uh, core of a business. All this while, I was under the impression that um, the the money that you made out of Quora uh, by monetizing the platform and uh, the views that you got uh, were um, where the success or the results that you got as uh, a personal brand and not uh, by being a business handle or business base, is that still the case or uh, am, I, am I understanding this wrong? Uh, no, I mean, I did, I did get a couple consulting gigs directly through there. Um, so there was a very small amount, but that, that constituted probably less than $10,000 of, of, you know, I think the total number is actually probably closer to 120 to $130,000 um, when I drew all the stats together. So the personal stuff was actually a very small footprint. The majority of money made, I kind of mentioned it earlier on the podcast, but the majority of it was actually through specific opportunities. So like, for instance, um, if I got on, a, if I found someone who ran a webinar on Quora and I reached out to them and I said, Hey, you know, I see that you run a webinar in this space. I have a lot of background in this space. I'd love to do a collaboration. 
they responded back to me and said, yeah, that sounds great. Let's, let's get that on the books. We did that collaboration. And then that collaboration say drove, you know, five, 10, 15 sales for the businesses I worked for either Entreport or Bonjoro were the two businesses I was working that I've worked through my time at Cora. Um, then I would basically see that as, as the monetization. So this is actually revenue generated for businesses. This is business monetization income. Got it, got it. Thanks for clarifying that because all this while I think I got it the other way around. But anyways, um, now I have uh, one more question, uh, but this is not any kind of trick question, Casey, but uh, you've gone to UC Berkeley and appeared on so many podcasts like ours and did a lot of great things in life. But have you ever been, have you ever been a part of a pop quiz, Casey? Have I ever been part of a pop quiz? Yes. Um, I, 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 I'm sure I have. I, I knew it. I thought so. Which is why we have a very interesting rapid fire question and answer round lined up for you. And uh, this round is uh, usually the most interesting part of the show. So would you like to give it a shot, Casey? I, I will. Hopefully you guys won't embarrass me too bad, but I'll, I'll do my best here. Uh, yeah, let's see. Let's see. So uh, let's get started. And uh, for my first rapid fire question, question number one is, as an end user, when you have a question, just generally, where do you go looking for an answer first? Is it Quora or is it Google? Uh, Google, I would say, is where I typically would search for an answer. Although, just to clarify, when you search for Google, many times you might see answers from Quora. Their SEO optimization is quite high. True, true. Yeah. Um, number two, what is more fun for you to do? Is it uh, using Bonjoro to connect with strangers or is it answering Quora questions? <laughs> oh, put me on the spot. Um, I do enjoy both of those uh, quite a bit. But if I had to go off the top of my head, I would say Bonjoro would be my uh, overall passion. I'm really passionate about video and about the importance of kind of creating human connections between people. So as much as I do love writing and do quite a bit of it, I think uh, Bonjoro rather would have to steal my answer for that one. Awesome. Awesome. Very interesting. And uh, this might be a very, very cliched question, but I couldn't help, um, you know, put it in the list. Uh, and uh, question number three is, if you were to travel back in time to 2013, which is, I think, when you finished your college at UC Berkeley, what would be one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think I would just test more things. Right. I think that when I first started out, I had uh, I had kind of this mentality that I had gone to a great school and I got a good job outside of there. But actually, my first job, I worked for a tech company and it really wasn't the best fit. I was kind of more of, of you know, I call it moving the cog or moving the wheel. I had a very specific scope of work and it wasn't really something that got me inspired. But I think I probably stayed kind of with that longer than I should have because I had this mentality that I had to kind of succeed um, and I think that now where I'm at in life, I've gotten um, in a way much more of perspective and realized the importance of, of constantly going out and testing things and opening up those new opportunities. And, and Core is a perfect example of that. It's one of many, many things um, that I tested. And it turned out that Core ended up being a, a big asset, but I've tested you know dozens and dozens of other channels and strategies and approaches and projects that haven't worked. And that's something that I always tell people I'm so passionate about. You know, I, I launched a tabletop gaming business um, that 800% funded on Kickstarter and ended up being a big success. Before I did that, I had many businesses and ideas, quote unquote, that I tried that were not at all successes. But I think that each time I tested, 
it taught me things and I learned from those. And so I think going back 2013, my biggest piece of advice was, would just be to start that earlier. To not worry, um, you know, about quote unquote, the idea of you need to succeed in this role and, and be dynamic and open up options in your life by experimenting, trying those outside projects, keeping yourself constantly learning and constantly picking up new skills. The sooner you do that, I think the sooner you'll fall into those wins um, in the business realm. That is uh, that is a great answer. I, I love that uh, answer. And uh, just out of curiosity, what happened to that uh, gaming company? Is it still around? Yeah, it still runs. Yeah, archongame.com. Awesome. It, yeah, the, so it's A-R-K-O-N-G-A-M-E.com. We've just done our first pilot. We have the expansion and development Um Again, to be candid, I've had so much on my plate. You know, I when I switched over um, to Bonjoro, and we've had so much explosive growth, which has been amazing. But it's also meant a lot of very long days. And and because I have all of these other um, specific kind of projects going, there there has to be a little bit of prioritization at different points in time. So I'm hoping to invest back and and hopefully maybe get some uh, another teammate who might be able to kind of help spearhead things on that because. I definitely enjoyed running that tabletop side quite a bit, but um, yeah, purely from a, a time vantage point, that one has taken a little bit of a back burner over the last couple of months. Sure. Um, so my next question, question number four is um, another hypothetical question. Let's say someone at Quora mistakenly fries all of its servers and the platform is down for uh, say the next three to four days. In such a situation, what would be your second favorite go-to platform for consuming or creating content? Yeah. So, um, second favorite platform. Um, that's a good question. You know, I don't, so core is the major kind of like outside place that I, that I currently leverage. I've done a couple of contents on medium. Um, you know, honestly, I think that the second place would just be finding, um, other communities that have a really good match, you know, so I do a ton of guest writing. Um, I know that I've, I've guest written for you guys before. Um, and so, I try to find partners who I feel like the writing and the content that I produce is a very close match for what their audience is looking to learn about. And I try to have those relationships open. So if something like that did occur where, where Cora was down, um, I think I would just lean more heavily into that, um, getting content out in front um, with the different uh, guest partners that I've built over the years. 100%. Yeah, relationships, right? Uh, last question, question number five. What's your all-time favorite Quora thread by someone maybe other than you? And what is it about? Um, all-time, so, so all t- just to clarify, all-time favorite answer? Quora uh, thread, maybe a question and answer thread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, man, there's a couple really interesting. There, there's a writer, and um, I'm embarrassed that I'm blanking on his name right now. I think his last name is Altman. I don't know why I'm not remembering his first name. Um, but he he sticks out. The very first, when you said like your favorite kind of thread, he sticks out because his answers were so unique. Um, and he had such a unique story where he had made millions of dollars and then lost millions of dollars. And he wrote about a wide swath of um, kind of things in the business world from everything from podcasts to writing a book to getting seed money. Um, and I always found his answers fascinating. And I think he, I don't, haven't seen as much of his content over the last like 12 months. Um, he does have a lot of older content, so I don't know, um, where he's currently at with, with that, but, um, 
yeah, that that is the one that jumps to mind. And again, I'm, I'm bummed I'm not remembering his first name right here. But um, Ju- Jason, Justin, gosh, I, I can't remember. But I'm pretty sure his last name is Altman. Um, and anyways, I think I think he is a good representation of Cora. Again, what I was saying about authenticity and sharing your stories and kind of being a little unique and, and kind of standing out, not coming across as just another copywriter, right? That's using Cora as another distribution platform, but really someone that's sharing some unique history and some unique stories that are that are getting people interested. I know I would always tune in um, when he when I was like looking through and I saw one of his answers, I would immediately jump and read it um, because he did very good on that front. Wow, that's that's amazing. Uh, you know, if uh, Manish's questions were more like a super over, you kind of hit everything out of the park. That's fantastic. Right. So, uh, you know, if I, um, if I, before, before I uh, let you go today, uh, you know, we really want to take a good message from you for our audience. So if you had to share a parting message, what would that be? Yeah, I think that as a parting message, one thing that I would want to again emphasize for people, because I believe in it so strongly is if you are in the marketing world, um, find channels that help you amplify your message. Right. And it doesn't, I mean, Cora is one avenue. Zest is another one that was mentioned earlier. That's a way that you can amplify your message, but find ways, whether it's webinars, whether it's podcasts, whether it's um, guest collaborations, whether it is an additional plot, there's many platforms and I'm experimenting with new platforms all the time. So while I have Cora, I'll constantly test, you know, I I got one, I think it was called like co-founders town or something that reached out to me last week. And they were like, hey, can we feature this answer of yours on our platform? I go, yeah, absolutely. You know, as much opportunities as I can to test and to get that amplification going, I try to do that. So if I was to leave one parting message, um, lean into that, lean into ways where you can bring outside eyes and outside listeners beyond your own organic base into the equation. And I think you're going to find that that opens up a lot of both growth and business opportunities for you. Amazing. And uh, since you spoke of channels, uh, you know, what is the best channel for people listening to this uh, to connect with you? Yeah, great question. So people can send me an email directly. So that's just Casey, my name, C-A-S-E-Y at bonjuro.com. So people are welcome to reach out to me um, with a, a direct email, as well as anyone who is interested in the Cora course. Um, I can provide a link for that as well. Um, and anyone who has questions about it is welcome to email me any clarifications as well. Amazing. So uh, thank you so much, uh, Casey, for the wonderful conversation and the wonderful insights that you shared over the last like 50 minutes or so. And I'm sure uh, there'll be a lot of listeners who will come back to you and probably also sign up to your course. And um, we're, we're really super excited for all the awesome content that you shared. And for our listeners, uh, that's that for this episode. And until we catch up with you the next time, this is bye from me, Yag. And this is bye from me, Manis. Take care. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the ABM Conversations podcast. Make sure you subscribe and share your comments with us. We're constantly looking for your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions to make the show more relevant to you. 